Exceeding Expectations, episode 89. Welcome to another edition of Exceeding Expectations, the podcast where we try to give you ideas on how you can give customers a better experience. And today's show is with Devin Miller. He's a, a patent and trademark attorney, and he also runs a podcast where he helps people well, helps people who are quite inventive, and it's called The Inventive Journey. So we're going to hear more from Devin in just a few minutes. Please do share the episode with someone who you feel may get some real benefit from this. And why not leave a review for us and um, subscribe as well, and then you can hear all about the the great episodes we have from this show every week. Hope you enjoyed this week's show with Devin Miller. Exceeding expectations, my guest today, Devin Miller. How are you, Devin? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And where are you, Devin? Um, uh, just located outside of uh, Salt Lake City in Utah. And is that where you're from? It is. So I grew up in a small t- in a smaller town. It's called uh, Morgan. It's about 45 minutes out of Salt Lake. Um, have all my family around here, and so that's uh, where I where I started my firm, and that's where I live. So been here for quite a while and um, several generations. And what is it business wise? What is it that you do? run my own law firm. It's an intellectual property firm, which basically includes uh, patents and trademarks and copyrights. So patents are to help uh, inventors that have invented something to protect their invention. Trademarks are to help uh, companies that have a brand to protect their brand. Copyrights are for anybody that's uh, creative work. So podcasts, videos, books, anything else to protect those. So we're kind of in the business of helping uh, startups and small businesses um, protect and grow their business. And how long have you been doing that? Um, I've been doing, being a, a intellectual property or patent attorney for about eight years now, um, started my firm about a year and a half ago. Um, what, how was it that you got into that in the first place? Um, is, is, I guess that would be almost two questions. One would be is how I got into intellectual property. And the second one maybe is how I started my own firm. So, uh, maybe I can split that question up just a bit. Um, intellectual mm-hmm. property. So I did, um, Electrical undergraduate, I did electrical engineering as well as a, a degree in Chinese. And then I kind of got to the end of um, my undergraduate doing intellectual, or sorry, not intellectual property, electrical engineering and loved doing, loved working on electrical engineering type projects, but didn't like always being stuck on a long project for a long period of time where didn't, you know, get, got a bit monotonous in that. So I was kind of thinking of how I could incorporate or do the, or, uh, electrical engineering part while still um, kind of keeping that uh, or an aspect of being able to switch between projects. And I always also kind of had liked uh, startups and small businesses and had an entrepreneur event. So kind of as I was getting towards the under, un, of undergraduate, had an uncle that was in intellectual property. Um, and so he kind of, we discussed it and kind of picked his brain a little bit and decided that was of interest. So I decided to go off and do law school, but I still wanted to do lot of startups and small business and being an entrepreneur. So I actually went and did a dual degree. I've got a law degree as well as an MBA or master's of business administration. So that's kind of how it got into as far as um, initially getting into intellectual property and patents and trademarks and that kind of its ability to do um, work with startups, small businesses, do a lot of electrical engineering and software stuff while being able to work on a lot of, see a lot of inventions and work with a lot of different things. Um, Starting my own firm, so that one kind of, you know, that maybe the second half of the question got into um, 
kind of been working worked with some very large law firms, you know, top 100 law firms in the across the country, and enjoyed. It. And that was a great uh, training ground for a lot of um, things that I was doing and learning and everything else. But there was always kind of the one the desire to be able to be my own boss, run my own firm, do the things the way I thought made more sense and could be improved. And then second, I always kind of just wanted to be an entrepreneur, wanted to run my own business and do that kind of that business side of it. So that's why about a year and a half ago, I decided to split off from um, the current firm I was working with and start my own law firm. And, and how's it going? It's going good. So um, it's uh, it's been uh, it's always a fun ride and figuring things out. But it's uh, it's been going good. We've uh, grown a lot. We brought on a lot of new clients as well as uh, like a lot of clients that I've known over the my uh, my career so far. So it's been a good uh, good uh, experience going going well. Things to grow. Um, we you know always with the the current COVID and all of that going on, things have adjusted a little bit, and we've rolled out some new programs to help startups and small businesses, but. Yeah, it's been going really good. So it's been a great experience and a fun ride. Do you specialize in any particular area? Um, yes and no. So, I mean, we do quite a bit of uh, different uh, types of uh, patents and trademarks for different companies. Give you a few examples. We help some company or, you know, one com- business we work with is for synthetic dreadlocks and trademarking for them. I've done patents for boat anchors. I've done patents for um, augmented reality for AI, for artificial intelligence, wearables, medical industry. So, um, tend to split or have a lot of different, uh, projects come in and help a lot of different ones. Um, my background being in uh, electrical engineering, I tend to have a bit of a specialty more in software and electrical related, um, patents, um, for that field, but we tend to help, uh, or tend to help quite a few people across the board. So when people need your help, is it often a case of they really um, don't understand everything that um, it is that you're going to do for them? Um, probably initially we try and we always kind of say that we have a heart of a teacher. And so we always want to make sure that they understand what they're doing before they commit to anything or pull the trigger. But a lot of times when you get a startup or small business, you know, initially coming in the door, They've either had someone that says, hey, that's a great idea or that's a great business. You should probably get a patent on that or a trademark on that. And then they kind of come in mm-hmm. and say, I might, do I need a patent or trademark or, you know, does that make sense for us? And we'll kind of sit down and walk through them. So a lot of times they'll come in not necessarily knowing as much of what they need. Um, we do, we offer free strategy sessions. So what we'll do is when they come in, we'll sit down for about a half an hour, kind of talk through their business, what they're doing and strategize what may make sense and kind of teach them or explain why that makes might make sense to them. Hmm. And is there, um, are there things that people really misunderstand about the whole kind of that whole process of, of patenting and trademarks and so on? Um, that, that we could probably have a, a, an hour long conversation on that one. Um, right. a few things, I mean, general, sometimes people come in and say, I need a patent for, uh, for my, the name of my company, or I need a trademark for my invention. So sometimes people don't even know which one they need or what a patent or a trademark is. They just kind of generally heard of it or they'll see it on a shark tank or hear it on a, a, a podcast they've heard. So that one's kind of one is that, you know, what is a patent? What is a trademark or what is a copyright and you know how they are? And mm-hmm. as I mentioned, patents are basically for inventions. Trademarks are for brands, copyrights are for anything creative. Um, so that one's kind of one that's, you know, always a bit of uh, making sure that people understand. 
Um, the other one is sometimes people don't always get the full process. And so they think, oh, if I file a patent, I can file it in a few weeks and then I have a patent, right? And then it's away we go and we have a patent and we can go sell it to the world type of a thing. And there's a bit more of a process. So a patent usually takes from the time that you prepare and file it with the patent and trademark office, it takes about 18 to 24 months to get a patent. So your patent pending during that time, you've secured your rights or you've indicated that you believe you have rights to an invention. Um, but then it, there is a process that goes along with that. So a lot of times people don't necessarily get that there's a process and they think, oh, it's a, I file it and I'm done type of a thing. So that one's a bit. The last one, and then I'll, I'll maybe break there, is that, you know, people oftentimes think that, especially with patents, that, hey, I'll go get a patent, I'll file it, and everybody will be knocking down my door to license it or to buy it or to acquire it. And mm -hmm. all I have to do is get a patent and nothing else, and mm -hmm. I'll be rich type of a thing. And, you know, that's a bit of a misconception. Patents are important. They can help protect things and give you a value in your company. But you have to have a company or a business around it. You can't just get a patent and everybody will be knocking down your door. So those are a few of the maybe misconceptions or things that people don't understand up front. And what about for people who maybe don't bother doing something like that where they probably should have? What, what are the likely problems they could run into? Again, that's another hour conversation, but I'll try and keep it uh, more condensed. Um, you know, generally, so there are a few things I'll hit. Maybe the two primary ones are going to be on patents and trademarks. Patents, so there's a couple bars that if you if you miss or deadlines, if you miss that you're not able to go and recapture it or you're not able to secure rights. So anytime you put an invention out into the public, so whether it's software, hardware, you know, anything physical, mechanical, but you put it out into the public and that can be, putting up on a website, offering it for sale, putting out, you know, publications or information, anything of that, you get a time clock that starts ticking and you have an hour or a year within which you can, um, you can file on it. And then if you don't within that year from the first time you put it out in the public, it becomes public domain or basically anybody can use that idea. So sometimes if you get a startup or a small business or even sometimes larger businesses, they don't realize that time clock starts ticking they put it out for a year plus, and then they come say, we'd like to get a patent on it now. And then you have that situation where you had to explain that you can't patent on it. And then you're seeing what it, you know, is there other things or things you've done more recently in patent on? So that was kind of an issue that people oftentimes don't realize that they have a year from the time they put it out into the public. On the, right. on the patent side, one other one that they oftentimes don't think about is it, the U.S., along with almost all the countries throughout the world, it's, there, it's a first-to-file system, meaning the first person to file on an invention is presumed to be the one that invented it. So sometimes you'll get, you know, let's say it's a crowded market. It's a whole bunch of people innovating and creative in that, um, that same market or environment. And they, you know, whoever files on the invention first, doesn't even if you created it first, if you didn't file for a while, somebody else is also in that same area and competing with you and they file on it first, they get the presumption and most time they get the patent on it. So you may come up with it first, but you don't file on it first and then you're stopped from using your invention you came up with. So that's one that if people aren't careful that they can sometimes miss that window. Um, then right. I'll jump and then I'll pause again. But the, the one other one is on trademarks, a little bit the same thing. So trademarks are, you can, you have some limited inherent rights when you start to use a trademark, but if you want to use it across the U S or online in all 50 States and those type of thing, generally whoever files for the trademark first similarly gets the rights to it. And so 
problem is a lot of times with startups and small businesses and others that they, um, they'll say, Hey, uh, you know, we're bootstrapping this. We don't have a lot of money. So we'll worry about that later. They'll start to get a little bit of brand notoriety and they'll start to have, you know, start to have a following and, and grow their business. And then they'll say, okay, let's go file a trademark only to find out that somebody else has already previously trademarked that. Now they put years or, you know, a lot of time, money and effort to build a brand around it only to find out that they, they don't, they can't use that brand anymore. And then they either have to try and go rebrand or they have to try and go and acquire that mark or come to an agreement or do anything, which causes a lot more pain than if they would have just, you know, looked, done their homework and done that on the front end. Mm hmm. I mean, before we started recording, you were telling me about some issues or, well, where you've um, in the legal industry about response times. Yeah. So one of the drawbacks, and I'm sure if anybody's ever worked with an attorney, they probably experienced that. So attorneys are notoriously horrible about response times. Anytime, whether it's a phone call, an email, or anytime you reach out to an attorney, the average for the industry is about three to five days. So you have to wait three to five days every single time you reach out to your attorney, which one can be aggravating, you know, and frustrating that you're trying to get a status. You paid a lot of money, your attorney's billing you. And so you're wanting to get a response from them and to be able to know what's going on or to, you know, even if sometimes it's even just, I want to give you money. I want to get going on a project and you still have to, and you're saying, how come I can't get this going? I'm wanting to get it going. And so that can always be a frustrating thing for anybody that's worked with an attorney's so um, one thing that, you know, as I started my firm that we focus on greatly is that response time of being very responsive to a client or, a client or to a potential client or to anybody that has questions. And so generally, if you reach out to us, we will either if it's a phone call, we'll pick up the, the call and answer right then. If it's an email, we'll, we're about 95% of the time we'll reach out within 30 minutes, respond back within 30 minutes. And we have kind of a, you know, an unwritten guarantee that we will definitely 100% of the time reach out to you within a day. So you email us in the morning by the, by the close of business, we will make sure to reach back out to you. Emails us right at the close of business, we'll hit you right back in the morning. But one that we find to be very important is if you can make sure that clients feel like they're being taken care of, that they know that you're there, that they can give you a call or shoot you an email and they're not going to have to wait a week to hear back mm -hmm. from you makes a big difference. And, and what was it, I, mean, I don't know how much competition there is in, in what you do, but what, what would you say that it is that you do that makes you different from your competitors? Yeah, so there's, I mean, across the board, uh, are quite a few different intellectual property firms. So the thing with intellectual property is you can practice in any of the 50 states. So a lot of our clients are everything from, I have ones that are New York, California, Oregon, Utah, um, so, or Alaska. And so you, so you kind of are competing with all the other intellectual property firms across the nation. So there's quite a bit of competition. A couple things that we've done, we already hit on one was response time. Um, we've also looked, went through and looked and said, okay, because one of the other frustrations a lot of um, people have when they work with attorneys is they just bill you by the hour, right? So you just kind of, it feels like it's an open meter where you never quite know how much things are going to cost you. Every time you give the attorney a call, every time you shoot him an email, you see that that comes in on your bill as a half an hour, even though he talked with them for five minutes and those type of things. Mm. Uh, so mm. when we looked at that, we said, you know, how can we make that a lot easier and, and more seamless and less painful for clients? And we, we set up every oh, about 95 percent of the work we do is on um, all flat fees. So you engage us, you know, up front before you even get or start going this is how much a patent application or a trademark is going to cost you or that. So you have those flat fees. Mm -hmm. So you know how much it's going to cost. Doesn't you, 
then and it also removes that hey now if i have a question if i have a concern i can give the attorney a call talk with them and i it doesn't feel like i have to hurry and get off the you know make it as quick of a call as i can because i got to stop the meter from running type of a thing so that's one of the, the mm-hmm. things that we focused on the other one that we 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 serve clients of all sizes and we have some, we work you know work with some big co- companies but we really focused on um, startups and small businesses. And that one is generally an underserved kind of community within the intellectual property or patents and trademark realm, meaning most law firms are looking at saying, we like to go for the whales, the big companies that can pay the big bucks and we can charge them a lot. And, you know, they're, they're going to have a lot of work coming in. And that, you know, that certainly get that business model. And it's great. But then it leaves a lot of startups and small businesses that still need help. That's still, you know, it's still beneficial to have patents and trademarks and copyrights. But the, most of the bigger firms don't just kind of don't pay attention to them or they don't give them much. They don't teach them much. You know, we, we always say we have a heart of a teacher. So we want to make sure you understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you're doing it. And most of the time, they either they don't give you time and attention. They won't even respond to you. And if they do, it's just kind of a hurry and rush through the process because they don't think, you know, not valuable enough to, to warrant their time. So we kind of flip that model and we really focus on the on making sure that the, we've helped the startups and small businesses by offering programs, by doing flat fees, by being responsive, and by really catering to them. Mm-hmm. We, we had a, um, a few episodes, well, a few episodes ago, probably about a year ago, I interviewed a guy called Kurt Bowman, who he does a podcast called The Art of Value, and it's all about value pricing. You, you were just talking about your, your flat-based fees, and mm. he he really tries to help um, companies to help them to realize that, you know, it's so much better from the customer's perspective if they know exactly what they're paying. And, you know, and the, the fears that you just spoke about, you know, they, they only talk to you very quickly because they think that it's every minute is being, you know, being charged for kind of thing. Is, would you say most of your competitors are still charging by the hour? Yeah, so most of them are still charging by the hour. There's been a bit, a little bit of a downward pressure or, upward pressure, whatever you want to call it, on law firms to start to move that model. But the problem is, is most law firms are run by, you know, senior partners or people that have been in the firm for a long time. So you're usually getting people of the management and the partnership that are in their 50s or 60s or 70s, those type of, you know, that age group. And they've been doing things Mm -hmm. for a long enough time in their career. They're used to it. They're kind of setting their ways. And so they're kind of Mm -hmm. reticent to trying to change anything. So I think that from the consumer side, there's been a lot of pressure. Hey, we want to have flat fees. We want to know what things are cost us. We want to be able to budget for things. And so there's been that pressure, but law firms have kind of lagged behind. So there are a few firms that have started to move that model. So we're not the only one that does it. We're one of, you know, a few that I think does it. But I think that that's where things are headed or where the pressure is going to push it. Um, But law Mm -hmm. firms in general just lag behind because they don't want to change the model that they know and are used to. And, and I like one of the things that he, when he explained about the, the benefits to to the company of of implementing value pricing, is that you're then not punished for doing something quickly, for, for doing something efficiently. So rather than if you take only it only takes you ten minutes to do something, why should you only why should you be punished for, be, for doing something so effectively, so efficiently? Yeah, I think it it, it provides a, a better incentive plan both ways, right? So on the one hand. It, it shields the customer that, hey, if it, it takes a bit longer than we anticipated, you don't have to feel penalized or you don't get these big charges up front. But it also incentivizes mm-hmm. the attorney that, hey, let's do a good job. And that's, but it, you know, so 
it does incentivize attorney to get things done more quickly or turn it around. You can have one drawback in the sense that you can have a quality drop, right? Meaning now you've got a flat fee, you know, I get paid the same whether I spend 10 hours or two hours on it. I'm going to do even, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the 10 hour job may be better than the two hour job, but I want to hurry and get it done because I make the same amount. So you do have a bit of a conflict mm-hmm. or a potential for a drawback. And I think that then you just have to ingrain. And, and that's what we try or what I've worked on to ingrain in the culture is, hey, quality is our number one thing. Short term, you can mm-hmm. sometimes get a, you know, do a, a lower quality job and, you, you know, make that quick dollar. But if you want to build something, if you want to actually have people that are happy with the work that will give you referrals or that will come back and be return clients and that, you have to focus on quality. So I think that that's always one thing to be cognizant of with flat fees that has that potential to, you know, mm-hmm. incentivize or give the wrong incentives. But if you set it up right, it gives the right incentives to where as long as we do a good job, a good quality job, you let us worry about mm-hmm. how many hours it's going to take. And, you know, you can judge the price and make sure it's within what you think is fair and reasonable and that. But we'll make sure to do a good quality job and you don't have to worry about the number of hours. Yeah. You mentioned about your podcast. I think you said it was at the Inventive Journey. What what was it that um, – why did you start that and how has, has it um, worked the way you thought it might? <laughs> Um, n- nothing ever works exactly how I think it will, but it's worked well. So inventive journey. So kind of along a lot of the same notes we've already been hitting on. So we have, you know, if you've ever been through and done your own startup or started your own small business, there's a lot of a roller coaster. You're up and you're down. You know, you have good days where you're elated and things are going great and you're getting sales. And then the next week you're having clients that are getting mad at you or customers are unhappy or you're having uh, expenses that you didn't anticipate or, you know, or you're dealing with HR and with employees. And so there's always these kind of ups and downs and hills and valleys. And yet, you know, you, know, you go and you watch a, a, you know, a TV show about the startup of any business, you get the highlight reels, you get all you hear is all the great things. And so it kind of gets to be a lot of a, a kind of a lonely experience because especially if you're mm-hmm. bootstrapping or a small or a small company, you have one or two people that are in management or leadership. And a lot of times it's the one person that started the company. You don't really have anybody that gets it, right? Nobody that knows all the things you're going through. So the inventive journey kind of hits a couple of things, but one is to kind of create that community of, hey, you can hear other people's journeys along their startup and you can get, hey, I'm not the only one facing these problems. Others have, and you can hear what how they dealt with them or how they what they experienced and kind of creates that almost support group, that community of people so you can understand you're not alone and, and how others have dealt with these. Um, so that kind of hits on the one. The other kind of when I started the podcast is, you know, with the a lot of startups and small businesses, they're always looking for funding. They're always looking for sources of revenue for investors and angels and other things. And so we kind of hit also on a lot of our followers are on the venture capital and angel investors and that. So it also lets the startups and small businesses get their ideas out and their companies out, spread the word. And for those that are looking to invest or wanting to help startups and small businesses, kind of connects those two up. So it kind of hits those two. It's been really fun and interesting. We've done a lot different uh, ones everything from um, interviewed a book publisher done one that's working on uh, medications for people that are coming in from other countries and how they deal with um, finding what medications are the same as what they're used to in the country they came from Um, done ones with uh, they do software programming so you get to hear a lot of fun different companies but it's also interesting how you hear a lot of the same common chords of how people got or their inventive journeys and what the path that they've taken Mm. And, and who is it aimed at? Um, 
it's aimed at primarily startups and small businesses kind of to create that culture, that community, those people so that you kind of can hear others' journeys. And if you want to get started or you're just starting or you've uh, been started for a little while, you can hear how others are dealing with their the ups and downs and what they're doing and what works for them and kind of just get that a little bit of support group. And then it's aimed at uh, startups and small businesses that are wanting to reach out to angel investors or people that want to get involved or support their company. And since you've been doing it, is there anything that surprised you about the the whole process or the results you've received or anything? Um, yeah, I mean, it's been one where on the one hand, there's a lot of common chords. And yet on the other hand, everybody has their fairly unique journeys or isn't almost any a journey that's been identical or, oh, that sounds about like somebody else we talked to. Everybody has a different path that they've taken. And yet within those different paths, it's been interesting to hear how some everybody experiences some of the same things of they you know they they got tired of their job or they wanted to do something different and they could see it and so then they're looking at, I I think I can do this better I think I do this different and also some of the times of the the downfalls and the pitfalls of hey I, I made this mistake and I made this you know I shouldn't have hired this person or I shouldn't have waited I waited too long to or to get this out in the market I should have released it earlier or I shouldn't I should or shouldn't have taken investor dollars and so on the one hand everybody's journey is very different and very unique. And yeah, on the other hand, it's been interesting. So that's been kind of a thing where I, I didn't necessarily expect that everybody would have different journeys to the extent they did and also have a lot of commonalities. Hmm. On, on the, the theme of exceeding expectations, have you ever been on the receiving end of, a, of an experience that went beyond what you expected? Yeah. So one of this, a fairly recent one is, uh, so I decided, you know, I grew up with, and when it was with me and my dad, we restored a, a 67 Camaro that I drove around in high schools and I still have it in my garage today. And it's been a, a fun hobby that I've done. I decided with my family that what would be kind of trying to replicate that a bit and have a fun family vehicle, we're restoring or, or working on a, a VW bus. So an old bus that uh, has a bench that can fold down into a, a bed and kind of just an, an old hippie bus, so to speak. And uh, mm-hmm. so we did some of the work and it got to the point that we needed to have somebody that had a bit more experience that could do some of the work that I couldn't. So I sent it to a company that's uh, VW Upfitters here in Utah and you know, they did, they did, one, they did a great job. They're doing a great job. They're still working on it, but they send out uh, week, weekly updates. So this, you know, on uh, Google photos, they'll send out pictures of here's how the work is progressing and how things are moving forward. So you actually get to see how your vehicle uh, kind of along the different steps of the way, Hey, we got the engine done. We've got the paint body we're working on. And you can see, and I really just kind of, one, I didn't know that they were going to do it. And it's just after I'd sent it in and uh, worked everything out with them, they started sending that. And it was this kind of a, a pleasant surprise that I, I got to see that kind of that path that they're doing on the restoration, which was a, a great experience on my end. Hmm. Is there anything about what you, your business does, what your company does? Um, any, uh, th- any questions that I haven't asked about what you do that probably would be good for listeners to know? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't, you've hit on quite a few um, notes. I mean, as far as if I were to get in the, the, the mode of, you know, every time you do a startup or a business or trying to figure out how to protect and grow your business, we've hit on a lot of the, the keynotes or things that people want to know. Probably the one that uh, I would always give people or the kind of advice I'd almost tell them is, you know, when every time I work with a business, there's a, a big difference between having a great idea and actually having a business. And, you know, oftentimes people think, Hey, if I just have that great idea, that's going to, that's a, the biggest part of the business or that's the most work. And 
usually that's the easy part is, you know, as hard as it can be to come up with ideas, it's the execution is figuring out how to do that. And so, you know, if I were to be looking at one piece of advice to give to them, it's, you know, execution is going to be where you need to have a plan and plans always go off the rails or aren't always how they work out, but you need to have how you're going to have a reasonable chance of success um, is probably the biggest thing that I would share just with people that are in that, in that environment is to have a plan, even if it changes and inevitably will to convince yourself that it makes sense or that it will work or it can work. What does the, the phrase exceeding expectations mean to you? Yeah, for me, it's it's going above and beyond. I mean, almost a little bit self-explanatory, but going above and beyond what people have expected. So a lot of time, and that can have a lot of different meanings, but there's an industry standard, right? So some industries are great with customer service and you have to even do better, whereas some are going to be terrible. And legal field is bad. If you're to take, you know, Comcast or Dish Network, they have always horrible reviews. So they set the bar pretty low, but you're going to say whatever is the clients of generally for that industry, whatever those expectations are for uh, dealing with that, uh, you know, that uh, industry, how do you improve that? How do you make it better? How do you set yourself apart? And that's kind of when I look to exceed expectations is they should come away saying that was better than I expected or I, that was a good experience and I enjoyed that, which is really, you know, can be difficult, especially with lawyers in the sense that everybody always has a good lawyer joke and hates lawyers. And yet there are a lot of things that we can do, especially in the legal industry of making it a good experience. And if we just put a little bit more time and effort and expend a little bit more energy that we could do. So that's kind of, for me, is exceeding expectations is looking at where we can improve and make a good experience or turn what is a typical experience or a normal bad experience into a good experience. If people want to find out more about you and how you work and sort of social media and so on, where, where, where would they go to? Yeah. So a couple places. One is, you know, you mentioned the podcast. You can go to the inventive journey. Then you can either, if you want to apply to be a guest, you can go and apply to be a guest on the inventive journey. If you kind of meet the criteria of a startup or a small business, or you can check out all of the episodes that we've there. So go to inventive journey. And that's one thing to check out the podcast. Um, you can also find it on Stitcher and Apple and iTunes and everything else or on YouTube. Um, for as far as patents and trademarks and if there's people that need help or want to learn more about them or just have questions about it, um, they can go to our website, which is Miller IPL. So M-I-L-L-E-R and then I for intellectual, P for property, L for law.com. So MillerIPL.com. And there they can go. They can schedule a free strategy session right on the website. So spend 30 minutes, we'll sit down, um, need an e-face-to-face, or in this case, you know, video-to-video for the current environment and uh, go through and strategize mm-hmm. with them. But that's a really good place. If they want to reach out to me directly, um, they can just uh, email me at devin, D-E-V-I-N, at Miller IPL. And um, I'm always pretty responsive and always happy to help and if they, um, and answer any questions. So those are the best ways to probably find us. We have a lot of stuff on LinkedIn as well. If you had to go and just look me up, Devin Miller at Miller um, IP Law, that would be another way. So a whole bunch of ways, but probably the podcast, go to the website or email me, you're the easiest. Right. Are there any, um, is there a book that you often recommend to people? So I'll give you two books, um, which maybe you only want ask for one, but I'll give you two. One that I, I, I like for, um, for startups and small businesses, which I, I read I read through a few times and really enjoy, is uh, it's by Dave Ramsey. It's called Entree Leadership. 
And it kind of, you know, as you can get by the title, is entrepreneur plus leadership. You kind of have to have both of those qualities in order to really be a good leader and, and to run a business. So I love that book and recommend it highly for anybody that's wanting, is, is either running or wanting to run their own business. On, and I always tend to, I always tend to like the books that are more on the biographies or telling the story of a business or something that's based in, or based in reality. So the other one that I read more recently that I really, uh, really enjoyed was, um, that will never work. And it's by, uh, it's by, it's about Mark Randolph and the guy that, uh, that founded Netflix. And he, it kind of goes through the story of he went through and pitched a lot of ideas to a, a friend that ended up being, um, you know, the co-founder of, uh, Netflix with them. And saying, you know, hey, this is an idea that we can mail, you know, DVDs in the mail, so to speak, or VHSs. And the originally idea was with DVDs. And um, and then, you know, the famous line is, well, that will never work. And so then it's the story of how you take something that nobody ever thought would work and make it work and make it a big success. So those are my two favorite books is Entree Leadership by Dave Ramsey. And then that will uh, that will never work with Mark Randolph. Great. And just before we finish, what, what is your, do you have a favorite quotation? I do. So favorite quote is um, the only thing it, it only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And, you know, sounds like maybe a different quote, but the reason is, is you know, and it kind of goes a little bit along with it, exceeding expectations, not that people are evil, but, it, you know, the only thing for whether it's bad or, you know, for evil in the world or for just doing a bad job at com- or companies or not doing a good job is for people to not, to, for the people that can and able to affect change and to make the world a better place to do nothing. So it's kind of always a motivation to, hey, I need to be out there being the person that's doing good and sharing and, and improving things. Otherwise, it won't the change won't happen well Devin I really appreciate you taking the time to, to share all your knowledge with the listeners thank you oh it's been my pleasure I've, I've loved being on it's been fun to talk and uh, time to look in the rearview mirror and then kind of talk about where, where things have come from and where they're at so it's been a blast to have been on your, on your podcast and that was quite a poignant ending, uh, considering what's been happening over the last week. And this episode was recorded a few weeks ago, long before we knew about some of the, um, the very sad events of recent times. Next week is episode 90 with Nate Pio. And Nate is a bit of a networking expert. And we're going to find out about things such as super connectors. And if you're not familiar with what that is, tune in next week. If you do need help, if you'd like to be better at networking, if you don't feel you make the most of your networking opportunities both face to face but also online we talk about the the current environment where there's much more networking going on on an online basis that's next week with nate po hope you've enjoyed this week's show please do share it with anyone who maybe needs some help with um, maybe they've got an invention they need to know more about trademark rights intellectual property and so on do leave a review subscribe and hope you have a great great week